You know that music. Come join in and listen to the only Blade Runner podcast in existence. From in-depth discussions about characters to interviews with actors and filmmakers involved in the process, Shoulder of Orion, the Blade Runner podcast, covers a multitude of topics spanning both Blade Runner and Blade Runner 2049. Another world, another time, in the age of wonder. You are listening to The Gathering Songs, The Dark Crystal Discussions. The story runs deeper than you know, and you are part of it. And what are those funny marks? This is all writing. What's writing? The words that stay. When single shines the triple sun, of your sunder and undone, shall be whole the two made one. And here's your host, Philip Mitchell. Hello and welcome to The Gathering Songs. This is your Dark Crystal discussions on all things Dark Crystal. I'm your host, Phil Mitch. I want to say thank you so much for tuning in to this episode as we continue discussing about The Song of the Dark Crystal, which is the second book in J.M. Lee's four-book series uh, that he's uh, been doing uh, that takes place before the events of The Dark Crystal Age of Resistance. Um, I mean, originally it was before The Dark Crystal, but then when they announced The Age of Resistance um, show with Netflix, that changed things up and so these books are sort of they take place before um will take place before the dark crystal age of resistance which is uh really exciting and so of course you know we've got our guests to help you know um break down this book as always um so i would say we'll, we'll start with uh dom nardi from nardi views i just want to say dom thank you so much for being on the show oh thank you pleasure to be here and also, we've got uh, two guests for this uh, episode of the show. Um, I know, unfortunately, I think I had Nancy Gray on for quite a few discussions on Swing of the Dark Crystal. Um, and uh, unfortunately, she was unable to attend, you know, with this recording. So I, before you know, I get into it, I just want to say, uh, Nancy, thank you so much uh, for being, you know, a part of the, our discussions. And, and we certainly hope to have her back on the show at a later date. So first, uh, so we actually got two returning guests um, who appeared in many, many episodes of our previous roundtable shows that were under the the Trial by Stone uh, banner, going through Creation Myths and Shadows of the Dark Crystal, and yeah, and, and I just want to, and so we'll go with uh, Fish, so I just want to say Fish, uh, thank you so much for being on the show. It's always my honor, I truly appreciate it. And also we've got uh, Peter M on the show, so Peter, just want to say thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you, Philip, it's great to be back. And so I guess I might start off with, uh, with you, Fish, if that's all right. And also to you, Peter, uh, I wanted to chat about, because I know, you know, this is your first time, you know, with this chatting about with um, Song of the Dark Crystal. Um, I'd actually like to know sort of your thoughts on sort of the story thus far. I mean, I mean obviously today we're going to cover chapters 13 onwards, but I'd actually be curious to know what your thoughts have been from the start of the book to to where they are in at the end of uh, chapter 12. So I'll start with you, uh, Fish, if that's all right. Sure, yeah, absolutely. So I've uh, I've been a little bit of a well-documented skeptic in our Facebook group, I think, about all things Dark Crystal and the future and whatnot. But I've got to say, uh, this book especially, even the first one, I, I think maybe I'm kind of getting more used to the, the direction some things are going and some of the writing and whatnot. And this book's really exciting me as far as getting to flesh out some of the the history, basically, of, like, the Gelfin clans and things like that. Um, I'm really loving what I'm, I'm reading as far as the tone. 
Uh, it's feeling very much like a dark crystal. And that's a hard thing to capture, I think, because it's because it's hard to even put a value on it and say, oh, here's what the dark crystal tone is. Like, it's even hard to measure. So uh, I think Jay and Lee's doing a great job um, uh, with these books as far as really getting to fleshing out some of the history of what we like and, and where he's going with the tone. I really like it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's interesting. This, uh, yeah, the direction that um, they've been going with this books, and um, yeah, I just I can't wait to see what he does more. Um, you know, in future books. I mean, you know, we've got books three. I think Tides of the Dark Crystal, which is coming out uh, in Christmas of twenty eighteen. So, which is very exciting um, that we're actually going to get a Dark Crystal book this year. I mean, I know there was a lot of rumors. I guess if it wasn't going to come out this year at all. Um, whether it was because of delays, you know, with age resistance and sort of tying it all up, you know, at the same time and, and whatnot. So, uh, which is really cool. And, um, and Pete, I just, yeah, I also like to ask you the same question. Sort of your thoughts uh, with Song of the Dark Crystal uh, thus far. I'm with Fish on it. I'm loving what I'm reading. If I had to choose just one word to describe it, I'd say smooth. It, it's lovely. It's like the perfect tea. Everything's blended together and you just want to keep sipping. So I just really enjoy the fact that nothing's shocking me. It's like, oh, that's interesting, or wow, hey, that's a great, great reveal. And that's the kind of reading I love because it folds you into the story. Uh, it just doesn't dump you in the middle of it and go, here you go, here's everything, you know, in three chapters, and we're off again in a new direction. So I've been really enjoying just the, the wonderfully crafted composition that J.M. Lee's put together that really embraces the reader and leads you not so much by the hand as much by the shoulder, just kind of journeys along with you as the story goes. It's just beautiful. Uh, it really does capture the, the spirit of the Dark Crystal. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so I guess, you know, we will start with uh, chapter 13 um, with, with, uh, with Song of the Dark Crystal. Of course, in chapter 13, they, uh, well, there's sort of a bit of a, you know, a bit of a fight, I guess, you know, with uh, Gurgen, who's um, sort of left and gone back to Solg to heal up with uh, his, you know, with my, you know, with his mother that, that is there. And, and of course, Nay and Tavro, you know, decide to get, you know, to go to Harar. Though at the time, they'll sort of probably go to the Grotten Caves, you know, to find out about this Furka. And of course, you know, Tavro is sort of a bit angry about why Gurgen has left to go to Sog. And it's also a nice thing, I, I, I think, with Naya, you know, she sort of talks back and she sort of states that, you know, that she's the leader now and, um, you know, that they're going to the caves to, to find the Furka. And, of course, you know, she did a bit of a deal with with uh, Tavra that sort of, you know, regardless of the outcome, they're going to go to Harar anyway. So it's sort of like, hey, you know, let's take this, you know, different path and hopefully find what they're looking for to be able to spread the word to the Gelflings um, about what the Skeksis have been doing. And so in that chapter, like they also go to the caves and, um, you know, to try and find, you know, this magic furka. And they walk along, I think, to the beach and head to the entrance of the caves of Grot and seeing the sigil of the bat. I think it's a, a holo bat, I think, I believe it's what it's called. So that belongs to the Grotten clan. I think that, again, with the whole sort of world-building thing that I sort of like, that especially in the glossary, you know, how um, uh, all the appendix um, at the end of the books where they sort of give you a bit of information about the Galfling clans and how each Galfling has their own um, 
uh, seagull animal, um, so to speak. So it's 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 kind of cool to sort of to to have that, and um, and of course you know for any you know the readers yeah. So there's like an appendix at the end of Song of the Dark Crystal, and they describe the Grotten clan is a mysterious secretive breed who dwelled in perpetual darkness in the caves of Grot. Generations in the shadows left them with an extreme sensitivity to light and solid black eyes that could see in the dark and large ears to make out even the faintest of echoes. The Grotten clan is said to number less than three dozen Gelfling, and their lifespan was said to be unheard of, lasting three to four times as long as other Gelfling. So yeah, I mean, there are a clan that, yeah, there's actually not many of them. I think, I think, I believe uh, there are only 37 uh, Grotten Gelflings that exist, as we find out later on. So yeah, I thought that that's, you know, sort of really uh, interesting about that and as we sort of get to learn more about uh, the Groton clan later in in further chapters yeah well to one of your points too if I could I'd like to say as I've been reading this book in these chapters I think one of the fun things for me you mentioned like the appendix and things I've actually been flipping back and forth to the map you know that's uh, listed in the front and the front and the back of the, uh, the book covers and that's been a lot of fun for me because I'm, you know, like a, a lot of people like us, we're Lord of the Rings fans as well. And you have a great map of Middle Earth, you know, but uh, having this map continue to expand and throb, it's just a lot of fun to to kind of follow it and see where it goes and follow the characters as, as they're going through, you know, different obstacles. Yeah, it's actually one of those things. I, I mean, I would really love it if um, DarkCrystal.com, if they actually had a section that's just dedicated to the map. And like you could click on certain areas to just, you know, get different descriptions on each areas, you know, from, you know, from the world of Thrall, you know, or of Scarath, I think as it's called. Yeah, it, it is a pretty cool map. And um, yeah, I was really glad that they sort of uh, provide that with, um, you know, starting off with Shadows of the Dark Crystal and then sort of updating it a little bit uh, with Song of the Dark Crystal. And, and I'm sure they'll be updated again, you know, many more times with, you know, Tides of the Dark Crystal and also, you know, with future stories so yeah it's, it's it's very cool and just to see it all sort of laid out of you know where all the characters have gone um from a to b and, and c d e f g so yeah <laughs> so i actually had a i had a kind of an issue uh i guess a point or an issue with this so so there are 37 people in the Grotten clan and uh um i'm trying i'm trying to remember i know um, I know the, 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 I know somewhere in the book they discuss some of the other clans and how many people live there, but yeah, I just I got the sense that this the the Gelfling population overall is very small. It's actually much smaller than I, I thought initially. Like it seems like we're talking on the order of hundreds or low thousands, not hundreds of thousands or millions. Which, um, you know, not not to like belittle the the evil of the Skeksis genocide but it's just it's a it's a much different scale than what i expected and it's just it's it, it also you know it's like when you're when we're talking about like the extinction of the gelflings and in, in the dark crystal movie it's like you know you're talking about like the, the Skeksis tracking down a few thousand people which you know is just a different order of magnitude so i'm not i'm not sure i guess i'm not i'm also not sure if we're supposed to take these numbers as like the entire Gelfling population in Thra, or just you know, just like this continent, or just this community. 
Yeah, because I guess, you know, there could be other clans that could, you know, have many more than several hundred. I think, yeah, because I know that was in six chapter 16, I think they mentioned that there are 37 Groton Gulflings. And then I think Stone in the Wood um, was mentioned as having several hundred Gulflings. So it would be interesting if there was other clans that, you know, were sort of in the thousands or even, you know, more so. But yeah, I mean, but yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting, you know, based on what we know, it seems like, yeah, there's only, you know, there's probably only like maybe a couple thousand of them at tops, maybe like it's such a small sort of, um, yeah, like a populated, you know, from, from our sort of scale, you know, where, you know, there are millions and, you know, of us living in this world. Um, that was one question I had too, as well, Dominic, I, because I saw that and I was like, man, that does seem small. And then as I kept, you know, reading these chapters, I thought, well, once we learn kind of their role, right. And kind of what they, they are the keepers of, you know, secrets, if you will, or something along those lines. I wondered if, if they're a smaller number for that reason, you know what I mean? And I think mm-hmm. you mentioned that, yeah. that they have longer life. So I'm wondering if, and again, it's all speculation, but it just would make more sense that you would have a smaller amount of people for a chosen destiny, as opposed to just, you know, your general population. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Well, one thing to remember too, yeah, makes sense. populations is uh, genetic diversity. So that was my question. Yeah. Yeah. Not great for future generations. Yeah, I was, I was, I, that that came to mind as well. But I didn't want to. I wasn't sure how far down that road to go because then you're talking about, you know, potentially having gulflings marry gulflings who are related to them, and that's that's probably not a discussion we want to go to go go towards. <laughs> yeah, but it, yeah, it is sort of interesting. Um, yeah, to think of that about those things and um. Yeah, I guess, you know, it'd be more interesting, you know, once our major resistance comes out, I think hopefully, probably with that show, we'll probably, I mean, we'll definitely get to see sort of the scale of the Gelflings, you know, of how, how many there are, you know, you know, with each clan and and that sort of thing. So, yeah, I'd be very curious to see um, how that all sort of plays out, yeah. And so, you know, in, in Chapter 14, um, you know, they, they the characters of... Um, uh, Naya, Tavra, uh, Kylan, they, they walk through, through the caves. And then this is, you know, the, this is a point where they see, they see the dream etches and the sort of the story behind it is each clan sort of, um, I think it was something they were talking about it, that each clan believes that they were sort of the heart of Thra. It may, just made me think of whether there was like some kind of contest or, um, you know, even a bit of, you know, rivalry <laughs> amongst themselves, you know, with, uh, trying to be favored, you know, by Olgra to be like, we're the heart of Thrawn and we're the heart of Thrawn and that sort of thing. Um, that was sort of something that sort of came to my mind about about that. And as usual, yeah, they, they sort of continue on and, um, you know, going through the caves and and suddenly they, they hear the voices of the Groton, Galfling. Um, and of course, in in and and in this chapter, we also got um, an illustration from Corey Godby, as always, as we uh, got an image of uh, a grotting gelfling, um, who is uh, Amri, um, that we um, get introduced in in the next chapters and beyond uh, with with Amri, yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, you know, this is a part where you know we're up to chapter fifteen. Yeah, and so yeah, we find out you know with the voices that you know that it's that's a Groton Gelfling boy who uh, who sort of helps to to show them the way um, in the caves because obviously it's really dark and only the Groton can really see <laughs> um, with their with their dark eyes. 
And this is where we get some details about um, with the Caves of Grot that it's called the Domrock uh, place. So refer to as Place in Shadows. And of course, as I mentioned before, the boy's name is Amri. And um, yeah, they go to see the Mordra Argot, who's sort of described as uh, the Shadowbender, which I thought that was kind of an interesting sort of name of, you know, exactly sort of, you know, what, you know, a Shadowbender does. Well, that's one thing I was going to say about this whole scene. And like, even in the, the caves themselves, like chapter 14, like I thought it was very well written and kind of set the scene, which I think is what you need to do if you're going to take this, you know, their fear or this moment seriously. And I love as they're reading the etchings, you know, uh, the one of them that, he, that they highlight is, may all light not true be swallowed by darkness. And I like, he says, how ominous. It's written like a blessing, but I can't help but feel we've been warned. You know, it's just well, it's well written. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and um, yeah. I, I again, you know, sort of adds a bit more of the world building. You know, getting to know a bit more about their world, I guess, in a way, um, which is which is really cool. And so, I mean, the characters arrive to um to see uh, Mordra Argot, and um, they ask about the f- the Furka, and of course, she tells them that yeah, it is real and it's in a tomb, and of course, you know. She's curious to know why they want to find this uh, Furka. And, you know, Nate is like, I'll, I'll show you. And so, I'll, you know, we'll dream fast together and I'll show you why. And uh, it was another twist, uh, not an interesting sort of thing that, um, that we find out that Mordra is uh, blind, which is sort of interesting because I know I think, um, I mean, Olgra, I mean, she's blind in her right eye. So, yeah, with this one, you know, she's blind completely. The only way she could probably really see things is through dream fasting uh, with Mordra. So, yeah, I just find that really um, interesting. And, and, of course, you know, after the dream fasting, uh, she really compliments on Naya's dream fasting skills as very, very powerful. And then and then she sort of mentions about, which I don't know whether this is a bit of um, foreshadowing for the things to come, but she says that the Stonewood will be first, then the Sprite into the South, Go west to the Crystal Sea, perhaps north to take the capital. Matter of time before they get to us. Whether that's gonna be, whether that's you know foreshadowing or whether you know it's sort of yeah, that sounds pretty. That's not just even foreshadowing. That's pretty specific. You know, that's like this this one. You know, this person, this and this. I mean, that's actually a very specific uh, like foreshadowing. I think is like more like a vague image of something, but um. Yeah, yeah, it was just something, yeah, that sort of, she has, you know, sort of laid out, you know, what what's to come, and um, so, no, that was kind of, I don't know, yeah, I just thought that was a bit um, interesting uh, with, with that. Well, this chapter is where we start to get our, our first peek of the, uh, some of the rivalry between even the Gelfland clans, right, whenever they were entering to speak with Madra Argon, and, uh, you know, the, the representative for her comes out and says that you two can enter. Uh, talking about, uh, I believe it's uh, Naya and Kylon, and says the Silver Link stays here. You know, pretty. I thought that was a pretty good gut check of a, of a statement, and I was like, well, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. She says you two can enter. The Silver Link stays here. Yeah. So it's like they sort of, yeah, don't trust, um, you know, the the Silverlings, and I think that's something as we sort of get into that we find out that sort of the back the background between those two uh clans um you know that whether there's some kind of rivalry 
but also i mean uh i think the the story behind them too is that they would they used to be a one combined clan and that the the vapra and the grotten uh were one clan and and then i think for some reason they decided to sort of sp- split them into two uh clans because so one can focus you know just so they can have more of a focus on the light and the dark so hence the vapra clan are focused on the light or the or focusing on the future and Grotten were sort of focusing on the past or the shadows and the darkness within. Yeah, so each clan sort of serves a purpose, which I do, uh, yeah, find that sort of interesting. And so, yeah, I mean, of course, uh, Mordra, oh God, you know, she agreed um, that they can get the Furka from the tombs of relics and that um, Amri will go with them on their journey. And of course, you know, sort of Amri, he's sort of a bit, he sort of protests the idea, but I think in the end, he sort of, Sort of had no choice, I think, from Mogro. Sort of like a bit of a, a deal sort of thing, you know. You can find the Furka, but you know, Amaro's gotta gotta be with you and be part of the the ultimate journey that they need to to get to Hurrah. And um, I guess for Amory to be a representative of the Grotten Clan as well. So in chapter sixteen, the the Gelflings they notice that Tavra has gone, and they were trying to look for her in the caves. And of course, I think as I mentioned that you know we. We sort of got the reveal, or sort of got the mention that there were thirty-seven Grotten Gufflings that exist. They, they, they find Tavra. Um, there was like there was blood on her neck, presumably being attacked of some kind. Um, and from that, Naya heals her, and that's when they sort of s- split up again. Sort of Naya asks Kylan to get Amri to get to the Furka or to find the Furka, while Naya waits uh, with Tavra, which which kind of makes sense, you know, just to make sure that Tavra is all right and. And that Kylan and Amri's of, you know, they're off to, to find the Furka um, that they need to to um, to hopefully find it. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I actually, so I wanted to actually pick up on something you uh, uh, mentioned. I actually don't think we, we really get to it until Chapter 17, but you mentioned this, uh, uh, the, the idea that this the, the clan split into two, one for the past and one for the future. Um and you know, kind of, I'm looking at the quote on page um, 151 in my book now, where it talks about each clan and what they were, you know, Thra entrusted these seven duties to the Gelfling races, and uh, because the task of keeping Gelfling history, law, and records was too great, it was split into one keeping the past and one for the future. And I just thought the way that was described was really interesting. For the one in the past... It, this is described as the past are history and dark things that should be left in the shadow. And then the other for the future are laws and philosophies that will lead us toward the light. It's just a very, I thought that was a very interesting way of really defining past and future. And it's, 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 it doesn't say like keeping things in our past, the history, the good things and the bad things, you know, together. It's like, it's a pretty, ne- the past is a pretty negative connotation you know, the dark things that should be left in the shadow, which, you know, sound, it sounds like there are some really interesting stories to be had there. And then the future, it's not the, the risks of our future or the challenges that might, you know, it's it's the, the future, the things that are going to lead us toward the light. And again, it's just also very interesting how in the future, you have things like laws and philosophies, you know, those aren't the past, those aren't just traditions, you know, the laws and philosophies are, are things that are going to guide them in the future. You know, and kind of and lead them toward the light. So I just, again, it's just a very interesting, 
Like that that to me said something I'm not sure I know what exactly it's saying with the Gelflings, but it's 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 indicating that a somewhat different way of thinking. You know, that they're maybe not looking at the past and the future quite like humans, or maybe they're just not nostalgia isn't as big a problem for them yeah yeah because i mean it was sort of interesting yeah to to get more of those um details about that and whether you know there might be something where um if later stories i mean i mean we don't know but i mean we we, we presume with the gelflings that they also sort of got wiped out with the skexies but of course as we know from the power of the dark crystal um it seems like jen and kira were able to find these other gelflings um somewhere else um, to be able to sort of to continue on, you know, with the Gelflings sort of being a part of the world. And it will be actually interesting if whether this is something that the Vapra, um, you know, looking towards, you know, the future, whether they sort of find a way to sort of, you know, for some of them to escape from the Skeksis, like in Age of Resistance or, you know, whatever future story that sort of covers that storyline. Let me ask a, just kind of a, a silly question maybe, but... When you all read this, and and I like the way uh, uh, Dominic that you that you phrased all that. So when you read it, do you think this is something that maybe an author does sometimes, just out of like, oh, that's the juxtaposition of dark and light, and that's kind of the one of the obviously one of the major themes of the Dark Crystal. You think it's on purpose, you know, or do you think it's like, like do you think he has deeper thoughts, like, oh, we're we're gonna get to the the darker past of the Gelflings one day, this will be a perfect setup. Because if, you know, if it's just by nature, it's kind of like a Rogue One moment. You know what I mean? Uh, where you just you just mention an offhand way, oh, there was a, a little mission over here to come get some information. And then it turns into, you know, the Star Wars or Rogue One. Do a movie. Uh, yeah. you think it's like, do you think it's like that? Or what do y'all think? Especially in fantasy, but not exclusively in fantasy. I think a lot of authors were influenced by Tolkien. And Tolkien had what a lot of Tolkien scholars call the illusion of depth, where he was very good at name-dropping, suggesting that there was a history beyond what we're seeing on the page, that Middle-earth is a real living place. And, and we now know, readers at the time, readers when the Lord of the Rings first came out, readers didn't know about the Silmarillion. We now know that Tolkien actually did have a this book, this backstory for the Middle-earth, which is one of the reasons why he was able to to name drop things like the Baron and Luthien poem in Lord of the Rings. And readers back then didn't know that the Baron and Luthien story actually existed somewhere. I don't think most author fantasy authors do that, but I think they, they, they strive and they don't, they don't have, I don't think most fantasy authors have that backstory already written out somewhere, but I think they do strive for that illusion of death. They do consciously try to, to evoke a sense of history to the world and say, yeah, you know, maybe there's a story here that happened years ago we're not getting into that story but it exists it's something in this world um and so it's a very it's just it's a very common tool in fantasy writing and you know i don't know i don't know if jam lee was what he was personally thinking when he wrote this but i'd be kind of surprised if this weren't deliberate in some way well at least to leave the door open right i mean i'm assuming that jim henson company with this with this franchise is looking for open doors right to keep expanding but i don't know peter what do you think man well, you're quite right in that uh, dark and light are a common theme, but it's it really depends what the author wants to do with it. Uh, theme tends to emerge organically from a story, um, at least when it's not being designed from the ground up. Now, I can't speak for Jan Lee, so this may be indicative that he's got a bigger plan already for this, 
So um, having been, you know, writing as long as he has and myself writing, uh, not nearly as long, it's a difficult thing to pick out a theme uh, without seeing the whole part of the story. So the nice thing about this is we're allowed to make our own interpretations. And from what I can see, the Geltling are not leaning too heavily on their past. So they buried it and they think that it's important to reference it, but not to live it. Uh, if so, then we'd see a balance between the Groton clan and the Vapra. You know, they'd have just as many members, it'd be just as vibrant, but we're seeing almost like they're intentionally forgetting it. And that can be perhaps an indicator that that's a danger, you know, at least to the reader. And it's something that the Gelfling haven't realized yet. Yeah, I like. I, I think it's sort of really interesting. Um, w- yeah, with, with all that sort of, you know, you know, whether we'll get uh, some of that story, like in in future stories um, with the Dark Crystal. So no, like, I, like it would be kind of cool, like if they sort of go further deep in sort of telling how the, you know, how those two clans, well, when they became one, and how they split up, and um, I think that's sort of a really interesting story uh, to tell. Yeah, that that is for certain, for sure. And, and so, yeah, I mean, so we're up to chapter 17. And of course, um, they, you know, they all go to, you know, for half a day's journey to the Tomb of Relics. And, you know, this is a part where they're sort of, you know, looking for this, you know, this fur car, which is inside a, so described as is, is inside a wooden box with a bellbird on it. And the place with the Tomb of Relics is a place where mysterious and powerful objects are kept um, as it was described, and it sort of made me thought about with uh, with Olga, you know, with you know, she she has these you know these shards, the crystal um, that she sort of kept in her observatory, and made me thought why um, you know if this was something that you know why she didn't um, you know give possibly give the shards you know to the Groton clan because you you know I would imagine you know the, the shards being being a sort of powerful objects that would be worthy of being with. Uh, with the Grutton clan. Yeah, yeah, it was just something I just had in mind about all of that, yeah. So I have to say that I got really excited <laughs> when I read about the relics. Uh, I love when people, the characters' stories dive into, oh, here's something interesting from the past that's been preserved. And it's that discovery of a treasure, of something, you know, it, it can be, you know, an info dump. But uh, I'm still all for it because you get to learn about the past, what happened before, you know, your knowledge is expanded. And who doesn't like looking through treasure? Yeah, (laughs) it's always fun. Yeah, I was just trying to read up about it. So, yeah, it's described, um, I think Amory says that it is a place where mysterious and powerful objects are kept so they aren't lost to time and the elements. Even Mother Olgra has come here with items for us to keep safe. My people were charged with protecting it, this place, in a sanctuary to the north. Um, you know, having all this treasure that sort of uh, is is with the Grotten clan to to protect. Again, you know, these are sort of treasures, I guess, or you know, from the past. So of course, it made sense, you know, for the Grotten clan to sort of be the protectors of that, you know, the, as that's what they they focus on. Yeah, you know, again, they they're still, you know, searching for the Furka. I think as we sort of get into, I think, chapter uh, 18. Hey, Philip, sorry, I actually, I wanted to kind of question point on this, actually, because you, you asked why maybe Augur didn't take the shards to this, uh, um, this, store, this storehouse, and this might be a dumb question, but 
does Augur view the shard as a treasure? I mean, I, I know I know that might sound silly given that we know what happens to the shard in the movie and how important it is. You know, every time I watch the movie, I'm struck by how Augur treats the treasure. When Jen goes to see her, and I mean, how Augur treats the shard. When Jen, Jen goes to see her, she has this box of shards, and she's like, yeah, I have some junk here. If you want to look through it, here you go. And she dumps them all, you know, and he he, he looks through them. You know, she doesn't do anything, and it just... It, she doesn't. You know, she she she's not treating them as reverential items or tools that are going to save the world one day. She just she's just like, yeah, this. I have some junk here that it maybe maybe what we're looking for isn't here, but she doesn't seem too confident about that. So, I'm wondering if that's just part of the reason why she moved in and take it to this place is that she doesn't she didn't view it that way. I think it's either possibly that or even that maybe she. She doesn't trust anybody else with that task. Now, I think that you're. I think you've hit a, a good. I think you've hit the nail on the head in some degree there with, you know, how she like the evolution of Agra, right? I mean, because she's as old as time itself, Ultra. And I think you know we see in creation this whenever the crystal is shattered and, you know, she's searching with Rana for you know, how, however long to find as many shards as they can to think you know which one is the shard, and I wonder if like over time, she's kind of reached a sense of kind of like hopelessness or or something because you know whenever she talks to Jen she says things like and begin all the same you know I think it's like whatever dude like yeah you know yeah. here's here's some shards um you knock yourself out right like go 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 get them and so I wonder if like she goes through like peaks and valleys herself you know what I mean with like thinking about because she's already tried to save them and get the earth kicks you know back together and out of here and failed miserably and and see how that turned out. So I wonder if she kind of comes and goes on that. But I don't know. Peter, what do you think about that? Well, with uh, the shards, you're quite right. It's, they seem to be kind of afterthoughts. You know, eh, okay, I've got this stuff. It might be important. Um, and I remember when uh, he was talking to the, uh, in his book, uh, he said, you know, they're around here somewhere. You know, and that's, uh, oh, okay, it's not important. Yeah, I always find that a bit curious about yeah, like why well, I shouldn't um yeah g- give give the shards to to the Groton clan um since you know they would be sort of deemed as sort of powerful objects, but I guess you know I, whether you know she I mean I would assume that she would know about the prophecy in a sort of by Gelfling hand or else by none. I mean not at this point of the story, but and all that. So yeah, yeah, it's sort of just one of those things, eh? Yeah. So, in, I mean, in Chapter 18, we actually get introduced to, um, to a new mystic um, that we haven't um, seen um, called uh, Early. Um, I think that's Early. It's almost like Early, U-R-L-I-I. It, it was interesting with this uh, mystic because he has uh, glasses that he has, you know, that was in one of the illustrations, um, I think, that Corey does in, um, uh, in Chapter 18 of that, so... Because we've never seen all the, you know, we've never seen mystics with, you know, glasses. I don't, I don't think to my knowledge. And yeah, yeah, it was just, yeah, it was just like, you know, interesting sort of, you know, just to um, make them sit apart from each other. So of course, you know, this mystic appeared at the, you know, who came comes to the sanctuary, um, and he's the one who sort of, you know, he 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 goes, you know, to see them and gives them items now and then, you know, that and of course, you know, they're, they're sort of looking for the furka, which they sort of eventually uh, do. Well, they find the box for it. <laughs> and then, um, you know, they, they open it up. They actually find out that the 
Furka is actually smashed into a thousand pieces um, as sort of the, as they describe that yeah it was like long lost all that their mission is lost to some degree I think that'll be you know sort of interesting you know how we find out you know how it was destroyed yeah there's a lot of thoughts of you know on that so yeah yeah I really like how um, Jam Lee makes that ambiguous we I, we had talked about that in one of the earlier episodes um in another incident where he, he he does a good job leaving the reader uncertain. And I think I think he points to one direction, but it's very you know, it you know, who destroyed this Furka and why or if it was if anybody destroyed it deliberately at all, I think is very unclear and I like that. It's it's a you know good use, good use of ambiguity there. Yeah, I just wanted to say that, you know, it's clear that it was destroyed um, in that uh, he didn't say, you know, the little bits had crumbled away, you know, the box had rotted. Oh, no, time has destroyed this. Says, no, there's broken pieces in there. So, you know, as much ambiguity as there is, it's the possibility that simply time destroyed it was removed because that's not uh, the direction that he pointed us at. So I like that. So that's, uh, oh, okay, how did that happen? Just as Dom said. Yeah, and it sort of really, um, yeah, changed things for for the characters because I mean, yeah, they they were really hoping that to be able to find the Furka, to be able to spread the word to the Skeksis, is sort of all hope is lost. Um, at that point, um, in the story, did it, did anybody else think Tavra may have done it? Like, was that ever a thought? She's she's high on my list. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, me, me too. It's like, um, I think when I was. You know, when I was reading the book for the first time and, and writing all these notes, uh, you know, in preparation for, you know, doing these roundtable shows. And I think I did, you know, made a note of, you know, could it be destroyed long ago or could, could Tavra destroy it herself or someone else? Yeah, so I've always been leaning towards, you know, Tavra just because, I mean, her aim game is really, she just wants to get to Hurrah. She doesn't want to go anywhere else. She doesn't want any detours. Wants to go straight to Hurrah. And, you know, of course, you know, she was a bit angry about with, um, Gurgen going back to Solg, um, she just wanted everyone together. So that's why I sort of thought that, yeah, yeah, whether like, you know, she, whether the possibility of her doing it is just sort of to speed up the, so the, the journey is just like, yep, yeah, it's gone, let's go. <laughs> um, yeah. On the other hand, though, I mean, I, 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 I thought that was, yes, I think Tavra is a suspect, but at the same time, she is the one that supposedly found this box and brought it over, which would seem to make her even more suspect. So if she if she were the culprit, why would she do that? Why if she didn't want them to find the vertical, why why wouldn't she just destroy it and leave it somewhere else in the you know in the storehouse or you know, coming over with the with something that has been destroyed. Yeah, I, th- I would think would make would make her seem like more of a suspect in the eyes of Kylan and Naya. Um, you know, I kind of so I don't know. Just I'm kind of throwing some doubt in there. Like maybe, you know, or or maybe she just isn't a very good criminal. Like maybe she, you know, should have had a better plan for how to you know implicate somebody else. I think it's a good point. I had well, and it's because uh, the only reason I doubt it as well is because they don't spend a lot of time on that you know what i mean like they don't really hover on it much and they talk about pieces that are so small missing 
this is the only part that kind of threw me as far as off the, the path of Tavra is that there were pieces so small that it couldn't even be mended missing. And I'm like, would you even have time to do that? Like, but did you just mm. chuck it against a wall? You know, that's, it's all up for debate, obviously. And so from there forth, you know, they, in, in chapter 19, they sort of, um, they all just start to head off as they, you know, trying to work out a way. Uh, I mean, as I will try to find a way that's best for them to leave with uh, Domrak, the Grotten Cave. And of course, yeah, like no one's really <laughs> happy about uh, the Furka, sort of the the result, you know, of the Furka being destroyed. And I think that probably almost um, wraps up, you know, for for this episode of um, the Gelfling Gathering. As you know, we'll, we'll we'll stop it from from chapter nineteen. So I mean, overall, we sort of got inside the Grotten Cave, and now we're, um, you know, they found the they thought they found the Furka, and um, well, they find the box, and then they find out that uh, the Furka is destroyed, and then they leave. So they've sort of been in and out um, of Grotten uh, Caves for our discussion on the Galfling gatherings. Um, so I just wanted to say. Um, everyone thank you so much for for being on the show um we're chatting about with song of the dark crystal i'll start with yourself uh dom nardi i wanted to know how um listeners can find out more about your work and, you know in addition to other things i do in my life i have my blog nardi views and i also um occasionally tweet on twitter at nardi views and i am currently rereading the dune series and will be posting a review shortly on the blog in preparation for a paper I'm writing about politics and Dune. So if that sounds like it'd be of interest to you, uh, go check it out. Thanks. Awesome. No worries. And, and also with, uh, with, with Fish, uh, thank you so much for being on the show. And um, just want to know how listeners can find out more about um, your work that you do. Um, I mean, because I know you do a couple of things with um, Fish Rocks Music and uh, a couple other things as, as well. So, yeah, be interested to know how listeners can find out, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I, anything you want to see, you can pretty much go to facebook.com slash fishrocksmusic. I'm uh, probably going to be adding on to there in the future as I'm starting to do some motivational speeches as well. But for now, sticking with music and just some general creativity and all things Dark Crystal, of course. Yeah, of course. Um, we've, um, we've Dreamfast in the Dark Crystal experience um, that, you know, myself and, and pretty much, yeah, a lot of, little, you know, uh, of us are on that group as well um, that you can... Um, chase us up on that group as well and what about yourself uh peter i just want to say thank you so much for being on the show i just want to know um how people can find out more about uh your your work because i mean obviously you um you you know you're writing a book series at the moment um is that is that the case yeah yes thanks philip uh i'm currently halfway through my sci-fi trilogy and that's at my website i update it monthly on the 13th uh, so they can find me at dwimsaga.com that's w double i double m saga.com and i keep everybody updated and it's going really well and that's fantastic and yeah i'm very looking forward to you know all the updates uh, with the um yeah with your sci-fi trilogy and um yeah and of course i'll put all those links in uh, the show notes um so yeah i guess yeah just want to say yeah, once again yeah thank you so much uh, for being um, on this episode of the Gathering Songs, and you know we'll certainly be doing a lot more discussions in the future uh, with Song of the Dark Crystal. Sounds great. Sounds great. Thanks again. Thanks for having me. You already taken too long, Delfling. Hurry! At last, the crystal calls. It is time. Time to return to the castle. The crystal calls. Delfling.
If you'd like to contact the show, you can do so at darkcrystalpodcast at gmail.com. To find us on Facebook, you can do so at facebook.com forward slash darkcrystalpodcast. We're also on Instagram at instagram.com forward slash darkcrystalpodcast. You can tweet at us at darkcrystalpod. Also, if you get a chance to review the show, whether on iTunes or Facebook, that'd be fantastic as well as that'll boost the rankings. Thank you all so much and come back next month for more The Gathering Songs. Come join in and listen to the only Blade Runner podcast in existence. From in-depth discussions about characters to interviews with actors and filmmakers involved in the process, Shoulder of Orion, the Blade Runner podcast, covers a multitude of topics spanning both Blade Runner and Blade Runner 2049.